Well, it's good to see you today. I'm glad that you are here. And uh, hopefully, uh, singing together has been a blessing uh, to our God and to you also. You know, June is a very busy month for pastors. We do a lot of weddings. We've uh, been doing a lot of premarital counseling. All those kind of things happen a lot in June. I remember a, a young lady who was at her very first wedding, and she was kind of taking everything in, you know, and, and the bride walks in, and she's all in white, and she leans over to her mama, and she says, Mama, how come the bride is all in white? She said, well, sweetie, that's because she's just so happy today. You know, white, white stands for happiness, and she's just the happiest, this is the happiest day of her life. She couldn't be more happy. She thought for a minute, she said, why is the groom in black? <laughs> it's a good point. Kids are so, uh, uh, you know, you see all those things. And then, of course, then that couple gets married, and they begin to argue over little things like who's going to make the coffee in the morning. Remember a couple that was arguing about that? And finally, as they continued to argue, she finally pulled this one on her husband. She said, uh, you know, sweetheart, you know that it's biblical for you to get up early and make the coffee. He's like, what are you talking about? Where, where, where do you find that in the Bible? She goes, well, there is a whole book about it, Hebrews. All right. So think about that. Hey, I am, uh, we are going to continue in the book of Acts today. We're in the, in the chapter uh, 24. And uh, somebody said to me last week, they said, man, we have been going through Acts for like a year and a half. When are we going to get through uh, with Acts? When we get to the end. That's when we're through, okay? And we're almost there. We're almost there. Uh, but today we're going to look at chapter 24. Now, as we uh, started this series and as we've talked several times throughout the series, in, in, a, in a book like Acts, not every passage is really chocked full of great theological debates. Not, not every uh, single passage has these great doctrinal things and issues that we can uh, put to our lives because there's a lot of narrative. There's a lot of just uh, telling the story of how the church and the gospel grew. Uh, we talked at the very beginning about how it's like dropping a pebble in water. You see these ripples go out. And we saw that as the gospel uh, changed uh, on the day of Pentecost, changed the lives of those uh, men and women uh, in Jerusalem. It then spread to Judea and Samaria. Then it spread to the uttermost parts of the world. And now we are, uh, after Paul's uh, three missionary journeys, we're uh, kind of talking about Paul's uh, final journey and what happens to him. Uh, but I, I want you to not lose me today, okay? There's a lot of kind of narrative at the first part of this chapter. But there's some really important things we need to talk about at the end of today's sermon. I don't want you to fall asleep before we get there, okay? So stay with me, and uh, we'll get there pretty quickly, I, I guarantee. Uh, but there's some things that we see in this passage uh, uh, later that are going to be really, uh, could, could be profound. Profound enough that it could mean the difference in someone's eternity, so let's get started. First, in, the ch in chapter 24, we see that uh, uh, Paul is falsely accused. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul's been lied about. <laughs> this isn't the first time he's been accused of wrongdoing. But let's read the passage and see what it is uh, that the, uh, the uh, Pharisees uh, accused Paul of. Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 9, here's what it says. It says, And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. Sounds a little bit like Eddie Haskell, if you know who that is. <coughs> but to detain you no further... 
I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. So as I said, this is not the first time that Paul was falsely accused. He was lied about. These folks were saying that he's the one that stirs up trouble everywhere he goes. But technically, Paul wasn't stirring up trouble. All he was doing was preaching the gospel. What it was, the trouble came when people who are opposed to the gospel respond to what Paul said. That's when the trouble begins. You see, what Paul was saying uh, really shouldn't have caused any trouble at all. But folks, the gospel is always troublesome to those who reject it. It is always uh, going to be in the face of people who don't believe it. And these Pharisees were opposed to it. They were against it. They didn't believe it. And every time Paul opened his mouth about the gospel, they were against him. They were saying, in essence, he's making us respond this way to the things he says. These riots are caused because he's talking and then we're rioting. So it's really his fault. That sounds a lot like our culture, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a lot like what's going on in in our lives and in our our nation right now? And almost, you could say, so even in the world. Now, I'm not going to be very political, folks, because I... I, uh, uh, if, now, if you want to talk politics, I enjoy politics. You come and talk to me outside of church. We'll talk uh, all about that. And I'm not talking about not talking about issues that should uh, be talked about by the church. But, folks, there is no, um, I'm not going to talk much about politics throughout this whole next few months. Because, listen, uh, uh, there is no hope uh, for our nation in politics. The only hope for our nation is Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for the world, folks. I mean, look around the world. I mean, I mean, if you watch the news, I know my wife has basically said, I'm, I'm off the news. I'm not watching anymore. It's too depressing. I want to know what's going on, and, and it's, it's depressing. But we see a lot in our culture. Well, you, if you say this, you're the one causing trouble because you're a bigot. You're a hater. You're mean. You hate people just because you say something. Well, folks, that's just, that's just not the case. That's just not the case. And so Paul here is saying, listen, I've said the gospel, I've shared the gospel, and and I haven't done anything wrong. In fact, he's going to defend himself right now. Here's what it says in chapter 24, verses 10 through 21. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to to present offerings. 
While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. I think it's interesting in the very first part of this passage, Paul still keeps his manners. Even as Pastor Kevin talked about last week, that Paul always got a hearing because of this, he waited for the governor to nod to him. So Paul stands there quietly waiting. When the governor nods to him, then he speaks. And he speaks very calmly. But he spoke the truth. Now I know sometimes that uh, we have a tendency to think that the Bible teaches us to be a doormat for everybody. You know, the Bible says if somebody wants your coat, give them your coat. Give them your shirt too. But that doesn't mean that when we're accused of false things, we don't defend ourselves. Paul, in a very godly and a very right manner, defended what happened. He said, what these guys are saying is not true. This did not happen that way. In fact, we're a lot alike. We worship the same God. We believe in the law and the prophets. There's just a whole lot about everything we agree on. There's one thing we don't agree on. And that's the resurrection of the dead and how that takes place. Why? Well, because Paul was teaching the gospel. He was teaching the truth that salvation comes in no one but God's son, Jesus Christ. There is no salvation outside of that. And this irritated them greatly. The Pharisees rejected this notion. This, this uh, you know, really uh, got it down to the core of everything that they believed. It threatened them. And they weren't happy about it. But he denies all of their accusations except for the fact that he says, hey, I admit, I've really upset them about this resurrection of the dead thing. They don't believe this. And I don't, I don't make any bones about it. I don't need to defend myself because I believe it. I said it, I'll say it again. And so he didn't make any apologies for the gospel. So now this governor has, the, Felix, this governor has this big crowd of people against Paul. Paul's now defended himself and, and, and he's got to decide who's right. And Felix is no dummy. This isn't his first rodeo. So what he does is he, uh, he places Paul under house arrest. And let's just see how he does this to kind of calm the situation. In Acts chapter 24, verses 22 and 23 says, Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, Christianity, but, but put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So we see here that Paul was placed uh, into custody. Uh, he was trying to basically satisfy both both sides. Felix was saying, well, I got to do something with this guy, Paul, because they're going to tear this place, you know, crazy limb from limb, tear Paul limb from limb and tear this place up if I don't do something. But he has this great idea. He says, hey, I'm going to place Paul under house arrest. I'm going to make sure that he stays in our custody, but people can come and go as they please. He can have visitors anytime he wants. They can come and minister to his needs and, and see him and talk to him and all of that kind of thing. 
Felix had heard of Christianity, and he understands it a little bit. When it talks about the way there, that's what Christians were called at this time. They were called those who were following the way, the way of Jesus. So he puts off making a decision until this tribune from Jerusalem can come down and confirm somebody's story. So he just puts Paul under house arrest. Now, we don't know for sure exactly why he did this. Uh, In fact, he may have done it uh, in order to continue a relationship with Paul, talk more about the gospel, because we're going to see here in a few moments that he did that. Rather than simply not being bold enough to make a decision, we look at it and say, well, maybe he couldn't make a decision, but maybe he was doing this for his own benefit to talk more about the gospel. So Paul now is, in essence, in prison uh, for, for preaching the gospel. He's, he's been held now, and we're going to see here in a minute, I hate to be a spoiler, but we're going to see here in a minute that he's going to be there for two years at least, for two years. So he's been brought now into this house arrest for two years for preaching the gospel, and what is Paul's response to that? Paul preaches the gospel. He does it some more. He does it some more. Look at Acts chapter 24, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul's response to getting in trouble again for preaching the gospel was to preach it all the more. Now, after things calmed down, Felix comes and talks to Paul with his wife, Drusilla, which I love that name. I mean, it sounds like a Disney female villain, doesn't it? Drusilla. An interesting comment is made about Drusilla in this, in this verse. It says that she was Jewish. Now, why would it say that? Well, who cares about that? What, what difference does that make? Here's why. She came from a background where she was taught about the one true God. She wasn't ignorant of Judaism. She wasn't ignorant about the law and the prophets and how to follow God. She had been taught all of that as a youth, and yet she chose to marry outside of Judaism against the word and the will of God. She's married this man, Felix, outside of the word and the will of God. How do we know that? Because, of course, the word of God in the Old Testament talks about how Jews should not marry outside of Judaism, and she has done that. So she has decided to live for herself, ignore what God wants, and live for herself, as I said, and marry this man, Felix. Now, it appears that Felix wanted to hear Paul talk about Jesus, so he sent for him really for this purpose. He wanted to hear him speak more about his faith in Christ. He said, I want to hear more about this. I want to, I want to hear about it. I want, to, I want to talk about it. I want to have a conversation with you. So Paul shares the gospel with him. Now, I think there's a great lesson for us. I've pointed it out three, four, five, eight, twenty 20 times in the book of Acts. But I want to point it out again, folks. Don't let your friends and neighbors get you into a debate about every theological thing out there. Okay, that is a waste of time. Yours and theirs both. Talk to them about the gospel. Folks, if they don't have the Holy Spirit in them because they've not given their lives to Jesus yet, they can't understand the things of God's word and and, and the finer points of doctrine and theology from God's perspective. They can't. They don't have the ability so why would, you, uh, you know, why would you debate with somebody when you know that they don't have the ability to understand what it is you're trying to say? Folks, we've got to keep the conversation on the gospel. Paul was a brilliant guy. In fact, he wrote you know, almost a little more than half of the New Testament. 
He's a smart, smart man and could probably debate with Felix about any topic he wanted to talk about. But he talked about the gospel. He focused on the gospel. So now Paul preaches and, and he shares with both Felix and Drusilla the gospel, does it several times. And I want us to spend the rest of our time today talking about this. Felix and his wife respond to the gospel. I want us to look at their responses. And I want to connect it with us. So let's look at Acts chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. Here's what it says. And as he, Paul, reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So Felix goes on his way and leaves Paul in prison, even at the time that authority changed hands. Why did Paul reason about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment? Why those three topics? Because that's the gospel. Righteousness. God is righteous. We are not. Nor can we be. Self-control. No matter how hard we try to do right, no matter how hard we try to have self-control, we cannot outside of God's power through the Holy Spirit. The coming judgment. There is a coming judgment where each one of us will stand before God and give an account for our sinful lives. The cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can prevent us from being judged as a sinner and rather seen by God as a son or daughter. Folks, Paul was talking about the gospel to this man and his wife. I want us to take a look now at their responses because I think it's profound what we see here. So let's talk first about Felix's response to the gospel. He intellectually believes and is being drawn by God's Spirit to receive Christ, but he puts it off, and he puts it off, and he puts it off, and he puts it off for two years until finally his relationship with Paul ceases. The Bible says when Paul talked about it, Felix was alarmed about the gospel. He, he was worried. He was scared about the gospel. Why? Because he realized that Paul was right. He realized intellectually that what Paul was saying about Jesus was right. And God was obviously working on Felix's heart, drawing him to himself. But he kept rejecting the gospel. Felix basically says, go away. I love my sinful life too much right now. It's not the right time to give up control of my life just yet. I'll talk to you another day. I'll talk to you tomorrow or next week or next month. It's just not the right time. But we'll talk about it some more. When Felix says, go away for the present... I'll send for you later. He's really saying, I know I need to make this decision, but 
I'll do it later at a more convenient time. And two years pass while he's putting it off. And finally, he and Paul may never see each other again. We don't ever have any record of them ever connecting again. And we don't ever have any record of Felix ever turning his life over to Christ. So for two years, he heard the gospel from Paul, and he put it off, 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 off, until he perhaps heard it no more. Folks, some of you in this room have heard the gospel several times, many times, and I know that God is convicting you of continuing to live for yourself, but you are just not ready to give up control of your life. You are a Felix. I want to encourage you, don't put it off anymore. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Says for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Folks, if you have not, if you're in this room and you have not yet given your life to Christ, if you have not yet said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't do anything about that sin myself. So I see what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins. And I give my life to you and I accept the gift that he's given on the cross to pay for my sins. Knowing that I can't do anything to save myself, I put myself in your hands and I put my faith and trust in you to save me. Folks, if you have not done that and you are in this room, tomorrow is not a better day. Next week is not a better week. Next month is not a better month. We have no idea if Felix, after talking with the Apostle Paul... For two years, we have no idea if he ever gave his life to Christ. Folks, I I don't want you to put it off until somehow you don't hear it anymore. Do it today. Don't be a Felix. What about getting some t-shirts made up for today's sermon? Don't be a Felix, except Christ is your Savior on the back, you know. Don't be a Felix. That seemed very funny to me, not to you. But in the context of this passage, folks, it makes a lot of sense. Why in the world would you put off the most important and the best decision that you will ever make in your life? Better and more important than where you're going to go to school. Better or more important than who you're going to marry. Better or more important than where you're going to live. Better or more important than what job you're going to have. Better or more important whether to stay at your job or get a new one. Better and more important than any other decision you'll ever make in your life is this one thing. Will I respond to what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ? And now I want us to look at Drusilla's response to the gospel. Did you catch it? Did you catch it in that passage what her response to the gospel was? She doesn't respond at all. She doesn't respond at all. While her husband is being convicted, while her husband is being drawn to God by his spirit, we have no record of her responding in any way, shape, or form. Now that's profound, folks. Felix was alarmed. God's spirit was working on him. Wasn't working on her. Felix wanted to talk more about it. We don't get the impression she did. Felix was interested in making a decision just at a later date. 
Didn't get that from her. Drusilla did not respond in any way, shape, or form. See, folks, she had already turned her back on her Jewish faith in the one true God. She was already living in a consistently sinful state, uh, rejecting God's plan for her life and wanting to live for herself without really any concern for God. Now, when we look at the fact that Felix was bothered by Paul's preaching and Drusilla was not, does that mean that somehow God loved or wanted Felix more than Drusilla because he was, he was drawing him but not drawing her? No, not at all. Scripture is very clear. It's his, his, his desire that everyone comes to salvation. The fact is, folks, she had simply hardened her heart toward the truth for so long that the truth was no longer convicting to her. When she heard the truth, it didn't matter. It didn't affect her. It didn't bother her that she wasn't uh, living for Christ or had accepted Christ. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. God help us if we ever get to the place where God's, the, the reading and the preaching of God's word does not affect us. I've heard one time that a great sermon will afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. You should be comforted by God's word. If you come in comfortable with how life's going and everything's hunky-dory and there's just no problem, not a thing, you should be a little bit afflicted about just you know, seeing where God wants you to be and, and uh, taking him for granted. I know I'm not the best preacher in this town. I may not even be the best preacher on this street. I don't know. I haven't heard them all. But I will tell you this. We preach God's word here. And God's word has power, folks. It doesn't come from me being a great speaker. It comes from God just having power. And if you come to this church, especially if you come here week after week after week after week, and you start beginning to think in your mind, you know what, there's just nothing here for me. I don't have anything else to learn. I don't get anything from the preaching. I don't get anything uh, from hearing uh, the sermons here. Maybe, just maybe, it's not always that I'm a stinky preacher. Maybe, just maybe sometimes, we decide that we want to live our sinful lives so much that God's voice begins to fade, that our hearts begin to be calloused, that it sounds like he's farther and farther away, and and that his word does not really speak to our hearts because our hearts don't have ears to hear. Just a thought. Folks, I don't want anybody in this room to leave a Felix or a Drusilla today If you are here and you have put off the decision to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Don't put that off. Don't put that off. And we don't do a lot of like, you know, guilting people into doing things around here, and I'm not going to do that. 
I don't think that's right, and I don't think guilting people into making emotional decisions that they don't follow through doesn't really matter. But I'm just saying, if you're thinking about it, and you're on the edge, I, I'm, I'm telling you, there's no better decision that I've ever made in my whole life than to give my life to Jesus. Some of you have heard this story, but some of you haven't. I used to have a boss uh, that was a very um, nice man. And he asked me one time why I was a follower of Jesus. I began to tell him. And uh, I did a lot of traveling at the time. And uh, uh, he started traveling with me. I thought he was going to get fired because I thought he was checking up on me, you know. But he started traveling with me and we started uh, talking a lot about the gospel. And as I shared more about the gospel with him, I remember one, time, one day he called me into his office and he said, Hey, Mike, I'm going to tell you something. I've been thinking a lot about what we've been talking about. I'm totally and completely convinced that what you've been telling me about the gospel in Jesus Christ is true. But I can't accept it. I'm like, are you, are you crazy? What are you, how can you even say that? He said, if I accept the truth about that, then I have to accept the truth that my mother didn't know Jesus and that she's now in hell. I said, Jeff, I'm sorry that you're in this predicament. I'm sorry that you have to go through this. But what you think about where she is really doesn't change where she is. <laughs> where she is is where she is. And whether you accept it or not or believe it or not doesn't make any difference. But I'm more concerned about you and the legacy you leave for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. And a week later... He came to the church I was attending at the time, and in that service, he accepted Christ as his Savior. That was a big deal. But it wasn't as big a deal as about a year later. He left the company soon after that, and not because of me. And uh, <laughs> he left the company soon after that, and I kind of went into his father's business with him. And about a year later, I got a phone call from him. And he said, hey, Michael, I just want to call and tell you, you're sharing the gospel with me. Uh, Friday night, my 16-year-old daughter was killed in a car crash. And last summer, uh, I took my three kids camping, and I shared the gospel with all three of my children. And they all prayed to receive Christ. And I wanted to call you because I know today that she's in heaven with the Lord because you were diligent with me and persistent. Folks, I want to be persistent with you. I want to beg you not to be a Felix. If you're considering giving your life to Jesus, do not put it off another day. Tomorrow's not a better day. Next week is not a better week. Next month is not a better month. There is no better time than right now to just right where you're at, in your heart and your mind, say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't do anything about my sin. I know Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. And so by faith, I put my trust in you, knowing that you love me and that you did that for me, and I give my life to you. Don't be a Drusilla who's maybe not even interested, but you've heard it over and over and over and over to where it begins to get softer, and God's voice is softer and softer until you don't hear him anymore. What a terrible place to be. What a terrible place to be. I want everybody to take out one of those connection cards that's in front of you. I want you to actually physically take it out and hold it up. 
No, not the offering things, the, 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 the connection cards. Take those out, hold them up. I want to see that you've got it in your hand, okay? Turn it over to the back. There are some boxes there that you can check if they apply to you. If you're here today and you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, you can check that box right there and just pray that prayer right where you're sitting. Come talk to me afterwards. Talk to any one of the leaders you see around here. We'll be glad to help you to know Jesus. If you want to talk to one of the pastors this week, we'll be glad to talk with you. Folks, don't put this off. Don't put this off. Make that decision today. And by the way, as you leave today, you can put those connection cards. There's a little basket right here by the sound booth. You can drop them right in there. We want to help you. We want to help you to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. We want to help you to become more like Jesus and reflect him better to a world that is desperately needing to see him more and more every day. God wants to use you to do that. Let us help you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, just for the way that you love us. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. God, we are sinful, and, and we are sorry for that. But in our flesh, we can't overcome it. But only with your spirit and, and your spirit in us can we even overcome it a little bit. Father, I pray that if there are those here today that you are speaking to their hearts, God, I beg you to yell, yell at their hearts so they cannot, they just cannot ignore you. Father, help our, our church be the kind of church that always stays focused on the gospel. That Yes, we want to learn uh, to, to follow you in every way. We want to be fully discipled believers. But help us to never get away from the gospel and help us to never apologize for it. Help us to stand on your word and to be like Paul, preaching the gospel, speaking your word, and letting the chips fall where they may. There may come a time when we experience real persecution, not somebody making fun of us at work or, or saying we're silly or we're bigoted or hateful or whatever. There may come a time when we really experience persecution like most of the rest of the world does. God, help us to be strong now so that we can stand for you then. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.